Hello, everybody. Okay, welcome to the next um, part of this discussion that we started last week. Last time we talked about there are two big questions that you really have to ask in order to start to have a systematic understanding of one, what's going on with the kid, and two, so that we're not just treating symptoms, um, we're not just chasing those symptoms to try to get them to go away, um, but we're understanding them more. And um, and two, um, so that we know how to set appropriate goals, we know is this kid, can we even help, and how does chiropractic play into this, correcting subluxation, and, and you know, how do we know if we're making appropriate progress? How do we know, maybe you're somebody who uses nutrition, maybe you're somebody who does biomed work in your practice, maybe you're somebody who uses lasers, maybe you're somebody who does all these other things, primitive reflex integration, the Brain Blossom program, whatever it is, works with a neurooptometrist, all great things at the right time. You can do a really great approach or modality or therapeutic um, intervention, something that somebody could be really impactful for somebody in their healing journey um, at the wrong time and either get no results or make things worse and not really know why. So we have to have some sort of a systematic way um, that guides our clinical rationale and thinking to know what do we do and when and how do we build a team around that so that we can be really good at what we do, which is correcting subluxations, assessing, you know, analyzing, locating, analyzing and correcting subluxation and understanding that as we correct subluxation and we restore uh, or allow the restoration of efficient communication and function in the nervous system, what does that look like as far as a trajectory of brain development? What does that look like for somebody who's already had deflected development? What do I include in my exam? Last time we talked about, hey, if you're looking for subluxation, we know that there's a structural and a neurological, and if you're like, I don't know that, go back to that previous conversation and let's talk about that. Um, there should be a structural and a neurological component to locating subluxation. So what are you including in your exam that you can confidently check boxes off to say, hey, I looked at the structure and I looked at neurological indicators. And the second question that we have to ask in our exam is, you know, what, what are the consequences of subluxation? So what, not just what is this child or adult not doing well with how they're processing the world? What are their symptoms like they're hyperactive or they're having anxiety or they're having reading challenges, or maybe they love reading or an advanced reader, but have socialization challenges and anxiety and tics. Not just what aren't they doing well, but what are they doing? What are their primary tools of processing? And what does that tell us about how they're using their brain and how they've moved through development, what their trajectory of development has been like when we think about how the brain develops, like a flower, bottom up, back to front, inside out, right to left, and there's different tools that come at different stages. Now, one of the things, and this is what I wanna talk about today, one of those tools that you should be assessing on that second part of your exam, what tools is this person using to process their world? This is our functional brain-based exam. There's many things you need to include here. And the one I wanna talk about today that many people are using in practice, but I think we're using it incorrectly, is primitive reflexes. I definitely think that primitive reflexes as a window into a specific part of neurodevelopment, um, of typical neurodevelopment, and can be a window into deflected neurodevelopment, or challenges or alterations or stress response in neurodevelopment and neurofunction, um, Primitive reflexes should be something that we certainly include in our functional brain-based exam. But 
here's the thing. So often we're including them on our exam or in our day-to-day -day checking of patients, but we're not really using them as a window into the system, a window into the system of that individual that tells us more about the big picture of their current state their current neurological state, the tools that they're maybe using to process their world, why they're maybe more reactive or more movement-based or having a reflexive movement um, when put in a certain demand at school or socialization or whatever. And we're using them by saying, so often in our profession and others is saying, hey, I see an unintegrated primitive reflex in a five-year-old. Let's say we see a persistent morrow in a five-year-old and they're having emotional dysregulation and they're really reactive to sensory input, they're struggling in the classroom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We know that those can be, you know, when we see these symptoms, we often see that this morrow is present and so we should start doing exercises to integrate or stimulate and therefore integrate that reflex. Well, I disagree with jumping in and doing that. For the, sometimes we might, in this particular case, that might be something that we need to do or that would be helpful at some point. However, if we have altered input, altered trajectory of development, and therefore a decreased ability to be adaptable and resilient to stress, then perhaps we're going to see a persistent reflex we're going to see that that, that morrow is unintegrated and we can drill it, drill it, drill it. And we may be able to, what we call top down, see it kind of integrate or probably not so integrate, but go away. Like we don't see it anymore, but maybe we're creating more stress on that system because we have not gone back and addressed why it's there in the first place. So this is where having a understanding of going, hey, let me check some of those reflexes. Let me use them as a window into the brain by utilizing some of these, using them as a piece of my exam, and then having an approach where I start tilling the soil with chiropractic, with nutrition, restoring neurological communication and function, reducing stress and inflammation, and watching and monitoring the way that the brain changes as a result and using different pieces of our neurological exam, our functional brain-based exam, to help us see if we're making change. That way, on your re-exam, you see it on your initial exam, including the other things we're gonna talk about as we move forward, um, the other things that should be included on the exam. You see it on your exam, you also see indicators of subluxation, stress response, inflammation. You start using, correcting subluxation, tilling the soil, restoring efficiency and communication. You monitor your re-exam by looking for indicators of subluxation, structural and neurological pieces of that, and all the things that we are gonna suggest you use on your functional brain-based exam. And when you do that on your re-exam, you will be amazed at the things that you see change, potentially reflexes, without drilling the reflexes, without or before drilling the eyes, but, we don't know if it's appropriate to start doing those exercises yet if we don't address the steps that came before that, the dysregulation, the lack of efficiency and communication within the system, and the decreased responsiveness or adaptability to stress and therefore efficiency. So it all boils down to what are you including in your exam and why are you including it in your exam? Are we indeed chasing deficits? Are we chasing the symptom? Like, if you were, you wouldn't want to chase the low back pain, but then we do end up chasing the primitive reflex, 
or we end up chasing the hyperactivity or the anxiety, or are we saying, hey, we know that that's there for a reason. We know, what we know is that the brain is not fully developed at birth. We know that stress impacts the way the brain develops and functions. We know that as adaptations to stress, we can have subluxation, altering input processing output and increased inflammatory response and stress on the system, including in the gut and in the brain. And so we must reduce those consequences and know what to look for to see if they're there first. We need to use our clinical tools within chiropractic to correct subluxation and monitor the changes in the brain, but we have to know what to monitor. And that's what's really important. That's why this conversation is about how we include primitive reflexes and things like eye movements and gross motor and fine motor and those types of things in our exam process, why it's important to include them, why it does not take you further away from principled chiropractic. In fact, it just helps you be more informed about how chiropractic actually impacts the entire individual and the way that people are engaging and learning and connecting with their world. Incorporating brain-based concepts does not take you away from chiropractic. It actually brings you closer to understanding why correcting subluxation how and why it impacts the brain and the trajectory of brain development. Okay, everybody, be well, do good work. I wanna hear, did, do any of you incorporate reflexes in your exam process without then prescribing reflexes right away? Do you or would you like to? Would you like to know how to do this? Um, and have you had any aha moments about, oh, maybe I shouldn't jump right in and prescribe reflex integration exercises. Maybe first I can take a step back and use it as a window into the brain and, and a, a window is to monitor change on the system overall. We are all about, in the Focus Academy and the certification series and all this, finding simplicity. There's some big concepts. There's a lot of different um, voices in this. There's a lot of different people inside and outside of our profession um, doing wonderful work that we can all learn from, including myself. But we have to be able to find the simplicity in our own understanding to be able to deliver that to the people that need us. And it starts with knowing what do I need to include on my exam and what does it mean when I have specific findings on my exam? What do I do from there? So this is moving on, building on to our conversation about what to include in your exam and why.